You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Doug, uh, and I do serve on staff as one of our pastors. I'd love to start our time together this morning with a very simple question. How about them balls, right? Man, what a day yesterday was. Uh, So happy for that team, so happy for the university, so happy for our city. Just a fun place to be. And we're so thankful that you guys were able to uh, wake up and make it here to church today. Uh, Tim, Tim's not here. Uh, when they took down the, the, the goalpost and were going across the field, I was just looking for him to jump on top of one. I was like, <laughs> he's going to do it. Tim's going to show up. And I thought, I'm not sure if I'll be proud or embarrassed. Uh, but <laughs> the truth is, is I would probably be very, very proud of him. Um, No, hey, uh, Tim and Jenny were able to get away with the family for fall break, and we didn't want them to worry about uh, having to prepare a talk when he came back. So we just told him, go away, enjoy, and we'll get to hang out this morning together. And and I really do want to start with a serious question. I want to ask you a question. Uh, What do you call a moment that shapes all of your other moments? What do you call a moment in your life that shapes all of your other moments? We all have them, and they have lots of names. Maybe you call it foundational moment. It's something all the other moments are built on or a life-changing moment. You were headed in a certain direction and then this thing happened and it sort of altered your course or maybe it's a formative moment. It was a, a class you took in college or a person you knew and something just changed about your life because of it. Uh, if you're a fan of the movie Inside Out, they call it a core memory. It's a memory that touches all the other memories of your life, right? I love what Tim calls it. Tim calls them a hinge moment. And he calls them a hinge moment because big doors open and close on little hinges. But today, I'm going to use a different term. Today, I'm going to call those moments that touch all the other moments in my life a defining moment. And uh, maybe you can think about a defining moment that you've had in your life. Maybe you participated in an after-school program where you were a tutor. And as you were teaching this person you were tutoring and, and they seemed to grasp and get it, you thought, wait. I can do this for a living, like I can be an educator, and it set you on a path towards that. Uh, Maybe you came up on a person in need, and you were able to respond to their need, and you thought, wait a second, I can be a first responder, or a policeman, or a doctor, or a surgeon, or something of that sort to help someone with a medical condition. Maybe you threw for 385 yards and five touchdowns against your arch rival, okay? You laugh, but that did happen to somebody, all right? Listen, if you think back on what the defining moments of your life were, I guarantee you there's one thing we all have in common. Many of them revolved around words or statements. Statements like, good job, way to go, attaboy, we are so proud of you. As you get older, they become words like this, you've been accepted, you're hired, I do, you're going to be a father. You know, I wish that every defining moment had positive words associated with it, but sometimes they involve some painful words. They involve statements like this, hey, you're going to want to sit down for this. I'm sorry, it's just not working out. Well, if that's the best you could do, or how about this one? I guess we just expect it more from you. Listen, whether your defining moment is something that you are celebrating or you are recovering from, I think it's clear 
that defining moments always serve as fuel for our lives. The defining moments of our lives always serve as fuel for our lives. And the truth is, is last week, Tim did an unbelievable job in our Philippians series, unpacking a defining moment that happened in a man named Paul's life. And we're going to kind of take a look back at that. We know it's fall break. Some of you missed it. And I'm going to summarize it in about two minutes. Uh, But Paul is this man in the New Testament that wrote half in the New Testament. And he had this defining moment that completely shaped him. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it on or you can open it up. I'm going to have all the verses on the screen. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter three, Philippians chapter three. While you go there, let me just tell you about Paul. Paul was born right, Paul was raised right, Paul lived right, but there's something in Paul's life that wasn't right. See, Paul realized if there's a God who exists there, that he can never do enough here to have a right relationship with him. Paul realized if there's a God that exists there, that he can never do enough right here to have a relationship with him. You might say that Paul's defining moment happened when he realized he couldn't change his life, but Jesus could. Paul's defining moment happened when he realized he couldn't change his life, but Jesus could. He records that moment in Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Here's what he says. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Last week, Tim had a powerful illustration. He held up two folders. On one folder, it just said the word Paul. And it was thick and it was full of information. And it was supposed to represent all of the good things that Paul had done in his life. All of the decisions his family made for him and then Paul made for him. All the things he could lay before God to say, this is it. This is why I should be right with you. And then he held up a second folder. And it didn't have anything in it. It just said on the front, Jesus. And Paul's whole life came down to a moment when he realized he could never put enough good things in his folder to measure up. So he made a defining choice in his life. He threw his folder away and accepted Jesus's. You might say this, Paul reached a point where he realized that Jesus lived the life that he had failed to live. Jesus lived sinless and perfect in every way, and Paul didn't. And then Jesus died a death that Paul deserved to die meaning that on the cross, Jesus experienced separation from his father on behalf of us so that we would never have to. And then Jesus was laid in a grave. And three days later, he was resurrected to prove he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And when Paul was confronted with that fact, he said, what am I doing holding on to my folder? All these works I have, they're like garbage compared to Jesus. So he made a choice. He threw away his folder and accepted it. Jesus' work on his behalf. That defining moment led Paul to continue writing in Philippians 3. And he says, because that moment happened in my past, it is shaping everything about my current reality and my future. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three verses. Uh, We're going to look at three verses, verses 12, 13, and 14. Here's what they say. Not that I have already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So if we uh, stop and we look at this, I think we can start in verse 12 and we can learn some really important things about our life. 
He starts with by saying, not that I've already obtained all this, or not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. When he's saying not that, what he's saying is, I have a relationship with God. I am made right with him, but I have a problem. I don't necessarily live right with him. Like, I know God has a right relationship with me. I have a right relationship with him, but my life is complicated. And I still struggle with stuff every day, okay? And uh, as I spend time with young adults and I kind of talk through this process with them, I try to explain it this way. Have you ever bought something off Amazon? Yet yesterday, I bought a coffee pot. We, bought our, we broke our coffee pot. I bought a coffee pot. It's arriving Tuesday at my house, hopefully, okay? Here's the thing. I purchased it yesterday on an Amazon gift card. It's paid for. It's done. Who owns that coffee pot? Me. Here's the problem. I don't have possession of it. It's mine, but not yet. It's already, but not yet, right? It's in transit, and I check it today, and it'll say, uh, we've received your order. And then tonight, it'll say, in transit. And then tomorrow, it'll say, received at your city. And then it'll say, delivered. It's really mine. I own it. I just don't have full possession of it yet. Well, this is really what our life is like spiritually on this earth, right? Jesus has taken ownership of us. We've had a defining moment but we're still in process. Look, if Paul was in process, I know you and I are still in process. And here's kind of what that means. If we're all still in process, if Paul's saying, I haven't obtained it yet, I'm not already perfect, and you and I both know that about ourselves, then maybe we ought to be a little patient with ourselves. Maybe we ought to give ourselves some of that grace that God gave us. Because we're just in process right now. And then maybe it goes beyond us. Maybe we ought to be patient with ourselves, but maybe we ought to be patient with each other. You know, one of my favorite things to say to our staff at times is I'll say, hey, we are people who are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. So why don't we be people that give each other some grace, right? So we, we need to be patient with ourselves and we need to be patient with others. Why? Because we're all in process. There's a second thing that we learn about ourselves from that verse, and it's this that we are all pressing towards something in our life. We are all pressing towards. He ended that sentence by saying, but I press on, okay? So we started our time together by saying, Paul had had a defining moment. And you thought in your life about one of your defining moments. But here we move from talking about a defining moment to Paul says that defining moment has created a defining question in my life. And you might say, ah, I know it. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I know what that question is. The question is, what am I pressing towards? And I'd say sort of. That's actually not the question. The question is, the defining question is, is not what are you pressing towards? The question is this, is it worth it? The question is, is it worth it? See, we're all pressing towards something in our life. That's just part of being a human. It's part of our wiring. It's part of our makeup. You're going to move towards a relationship, an achievement, a career, a goal, an accomplishment of some sort. It's in us, wired, hardwired into our being. The question isn't, am I going to press towards something? The question is, is, is what I'm pressing towards actually worth it? When I get it, when I make it mine, will it be what I thought I was getting? Will it fulfill its promise of joy, happiness, and fulfillment in my life? So Paul's going to go on. He's going to say, okay, here's the two things you got to learn. Number one, nobody's perfect. We're still in process. Number two, you're going to press towards something. Make sure what you're pressing toward is worth it. 
And he's going to talk about what he's pressing toward at the end of verse 12. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, the Philippians, where, where they lived in Philippi, they loved athletics, okay? It, it's a lot like Knoxville in some ways. When he says, I press on, that's actually an athletic term. It's a running term. He's basically saying, I'm coming out of the blocks, okay? I am moving with force in a focused direction. He is moving, straining every muscle to its maximum limit. That's what that word means. I press on. But then he goes and he changes. He says, I press on to take hold. Now, this word take hold is where we get the word uh, to apprehend. It means to grab hold of with force and to drag it to the ground. Literally in modern English, we would say to tackle. He said, I am going to press on to tackle that for which Christ Jesus tackled me. So in essence, we have to ask ourselves, what is Paul so passionately pursuing? What is Paul so passionately going after? Well, first we need to see this. Paul's not being proactive, he's being reactive. He's simply responding to what's already happened to him. Something has already tackled him, has forced him to the ground and apprehended him. And he said, all I'm doing is responding in kind. In essence, I think Paul's saying, I believe that Jesus gave me life. I believe Jesus gave me a new life. And I believe Jesus gave me eternal life. So as a result, I want to give Jesus an unrivaled life. I want to give him a life with no competition for him inside of me. He took hold of me and I want nothing more than to take hold of him. I want to use my time, my talents, my treasures to make much of Jesus. In short, I think what he's saying here is I want to live my life making God's desires my desires. And when that starts to happen in our life, something very important occurs. We begin to realize what God's goal for our life really is. See, God's goal for our life is not a perfect life. God's goal for our life is a perfect relationship. God's goal for your life is not a perfect life. God's goal for your life is a perfect relationship. See, Paul lived his childhood and his early young adult life and his sort of mid-young adult life pursuing having a perfect life that resulted in what he thought would be a perfect relationship with God. But that never works. See, it's the opposite. He had sort of the locomotive and the caboose mixed up. See, when we pursue a perfect relationship with Jesus, our living starts to change as a result. One pulls the other along. And Jesus says, here's why I saved you. Here's why I took hold of you so you take hold of me. So you'd make my desires your desires. And as that happens, guess what? Your life begins to change. So Paul's going to go on and he's going to continue with some of the, the athletic analogies. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. See, he goes back to that posture of humility. He's like, man, I think I get it, but it's still really hard. And I don't get it perfect because there's days that, man, I don't hold on to Jesus the way he's holding on to me. He says, I don't consider that I've taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. I press on. And he has more of these athletic terms here. This idea of I focus on one thing. He, it's the idea of a runner who looks at nothing but the starting at the finish line. He's in the starting block and he's just looking at the finish line. He doesn't care about the crowd. He doesn't care about the noise. He doesn't care about the music. He doesn't care about anything that's going on. He is focused on one thing. He is looking at the finish line. And I think what we learn in our lives is if we're going to press towards Jesus... 
If we're going to take hold of him with the force he's taking hold of us, it's going to require three things. The first is a clear focus. The first is a clear focus. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, there's a lot of things that want to kind of, kind of distract you and move your focus around. You need to approach life with a clear focus that nothing matters more than Jesus. I'm going to pursue him with everything inside of me. There's a, a gentleman, he's no longer with us. He was a pastor and theologian. His name was D.L. Moody. And he made an amazing statement about this passage. He said, it's better to say this one thing I do than to say these 40 things I dabble with. It's better to say this one thing I do than these 40 things I dabble with. So the first thing that we're going to do is if we are going to pursue taking hold of Jesus in our life, man, we got to have a clear focus. The second thing you got to have is a short memory. You got to have a short memory. In reflecting all week, I've been thinking about myself. So I'm going to kind of shift gears and talk about things I realize I struggle with. If I don't keep a short memory, here's what happens. I dwell on my failures and they paralyze me. When I don't keep a short memory, I dwell on my failures and they begin to paralyze me. And then the opposite's true. If I start to dwell on my victories, they tend to make me a little complacent. I'm good. Yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> one, one person I was reading said, I become Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, right? Like I just live in mouth, throw that football over them there mountains, right? That, that's how I talk about myself spiritually. Man, I gotta be really careful to have a short memory because my failures will paralyze me and my victories will make me complacent because there is something very important about following Jesus and it's this, that following a Jesus is always about my next step, not my last step. Following Jesus is always about my next step, not my last step. So what do we need if we're going to go and take hold of Jesus, right? We need a clear focus, a short memory. Here's the third thing, you need a long view me a long view. See, he was saying, I have this focus. I'm looking at the end of the race before I even start the race. I am always focused. What was his focus on? Remember, he says the heavenward calling, the heavenly calling, the eternal calling, meaning one day this life on earth will be over and my most important life will begin, my eternal life. So he lived today with eternity in mind. And you know what? You're going to face some decisions this afternoon, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that are going to feel really, really big. What is your qualifying standard to say, I'm struggling to keep a long view here in my life as I pursue Jesus? Well, just remember this statement. What matters the most is always what matters the longest. What matters the most is always what matters the longest. Um, if you've ever hiked here in the Smoky Mountains, specifically up at like Chimney Top, uh, you can be in a parking lot way low. Or if you go out west, we love to hike Zion. We've hiked Angel's Landing. And you're way down in this parking lot and you're looking way up. And you're like, I got to get up there. And it's like, yep, got to get up there. And you're thinking to yourself, that's a long walk. And you're like, yep, it's a long walk. And you're thinking, I'm glad I didn't bring the kids, okay? And then you begin to start to weigh out, like how much water should I take on this? I don't want to take more than I need, right? And the, the truth is, you're asking your wife, do you have your purse? Can you hold the keys? There you go. Uh, the truth is, if we start to think about the journey and we start to think about how far we've got to go and how we keep eternity in mind. It's easy to think of the analogy of hiking. Basically, we have to live today and take a step every day, but we've got to keep the peak in mind. We've got to keep one eye on the path and one eye on the peak at all times, because if we don't, we won't schedule our energy well. We'll lose focus. We'll get discouraged. 
We'll, keep, we'll quit pressing on if we don't keep an eye on the peak. But if we don't keep an eye on the path, we'll walk right off the mountain. So you got to keep an eye on the peak, an eye on the path. Listen, you may say, this sounds tough. It is. I wouldn't be very loving if I wasn't honest. Growth is always going to be a challenge. Um, I kind of don't know what to say other than that. Look, the sun is hot and rain is wet and life can be hard. One day it won't be. It's called heaven. But as long as we're on this earth, we are going to face challenges. Here's the thing. Growth might always be a challenge, but growth doesn't have to be lonely. Let's look at verse 14. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, when you think about this, you may be thinking about your life and you may say, man, I just feel like things are really hard right now. And I just feel like no one cares. No one cares. No one cares about my life. No one cares about my desires. No one cares about my wins. No one cares about my losses. No one cares about my victories. Nobody cares about my defeats. Nobody cares how I started the race. Nobody cares how I'm actually running the race. And no one is going to care how I end the race. But that's not true. Because verse 14 tells us this. No one cares more than Jesus. He's insanely interested in every part of your life. He's insanely interested in how you're running your race. Here's why. Because the course you're running, I'm not going to lie, it has some straightaways that are really, really boring. And it has some uphills that are really brutal. And it has some downhills that are pretty dangerous. But Jesus knows the course. As a matter of fact, he's already run the course. He actually already won the race. So he's not just interested in standing at the starting line cheering for you when the gun goes off. And he's not there to hand you a Gatorade and a power bar when you cross the finish line and give you a high five and tell you boy. No, no, Jesus wants to run every step of the race with you. He actually wants to run every step of this journey I call life with me. And not only that, he wants to run every step of my eternal life with me. So I've been thinking about that all week. And um, I've had a lot of time just to kind of sit and ponder and ask myself, okay, if all this is so good, if the race matters so much and I have such an amazing coach and such an amazing running partner in Jesus and there's this awesome prize waiting on me, why do I struggle to keep pressing towards Jesus in my life? Why do I struggle to keep pressing on? Why, why is it I have a tendency to stop pressing on and as I reflected on that question, I wrote three things that are true of my life. These may not be true of you, but they're true of me, okay? These are three reasons I struggle to keep pressing on. Number one, distraction. I struggle because this really matters to me right now. But in an hour, something else is going to really matter to me a lot too. I'm going to get a text. I'm going to get an email. I'm going to get a meeting invite. I'm going to get a phone call. I'm going to get in a conversation. I'm going to see something on television. I'm going to see something on social media. Something is going to start to matter to me in an hour. And this is going to feel like a distant memory. Uh, my son is in eighth grade. He's in honors algebra. Uh, look, I quit helping him with his math in third grade. I was like, when they start adding the letters in, it's just, it's not holy. Okay, it's wrong. And <laughs> it's just the truth. Just the truth. Uh, if you're an algebra teacher, you, you can know Jesus. Um, now, here's the truth. I, I can't help him with it. And he'll commonly say, I don't understand. I was in class and it made sense. 
Then I get home and it doesn't make sense. Boy, how often is that what it feels like with us with Jesus? Like on Sunday, it mattered so much. And then Monday came. And it's like everything else started to matter. And the reason why is because I struggle with distraction in my life. So that's the first reason I struggle to keep pressing on. Here's the second reason. Disappointment. Man, I really struggle with disappointment because if God loves me and I love him, then why is this thing called life so hard? I mean, it shouldn't be this hard, right? Well, it is. But you don't have to do it alone. And what happens is I got to thinking about how hard it is. And I start thinking, maybe I just don't want to do this anymore. And I start thinking, maybe I'll just take matters into my own hands. Because Jesus is telling me to slow down, to wait, to be patient. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I can handle this one on my own. And what happens is, is I struggle with distraction. And I struggle with disappointment. And then the third reason I know I struggle with pressing on towards Jesus is because there are things in my life that get very competitive with him. Competition happens. Look, uh, Jesus starts to grow in my life. Like I learned something on Sunday and it carries over to Monday morning. And then maybe it gets in, it stays with me until Tuesday. And as it's growing, here's the other part. There are other things that start to grow beside it. And over time, these, this thing, this best thing that is Jesus that's growing in my life has some other good things that start growing beside it. And over time, they start to take the nutrients away from him. They start to pull my growth away and move it from him to them. So here's what I learned is that sometimes good things actually can choke out the best thing. So why do I struggle with pressing on after Jesus? I get distracted. I get disappointed. And then I suffer with competition. So here's the question. So how can we keep pressing towards Jesus then? If that's why I struggle with that, how do we keep pressing towards Jesus? Well, we're in luck because Jesus himself talked about this issue. And he gave us a story. It's sometimes called the story of the four soils or the story of the parable of the sower and the seed is what you might know it as. But basically Jesus says, look, um, there's a farmer and he's got seed and he wants this seed to grow. So he takes and he throws it out everywhere that he's going. And he says, some of the seed lands on top of the ground that's not been tilled up or cultivated. And that seed instantly is eaten by the birds, never has a chance. And he goes, and then some seed, it actually falls into the ground that has been tilled up and has been prepared. The problem is there's rocks in the ground. So as the seed starts to grow, immediately it starts to hit rocks and it's not gonna grow strong and deep. And as soon as the sun comes out, it withers. As soon as it faces disappointment, it's done. And he says, and then some of the seed, it falls in ground that has been tilled up and turned over and the rocks have been pulled out. But unfortunately, there's some other seeds already in that ground that the farmer didn't see. Those seeds are, are thorns and weeds. And as the plant starts to grow, those things start to grow with it. And over time, the bad things start to choke out the good things. And then he says, but there's a fourth soil, a soil that is prepared a soil that has the rocks removed, a soil that's been tended to. And what happens is, is that the seed goes out and a crop better than anyone could ever imagine comes back. So the question becomes, if we take that parable and we apply it to our lives in this moment and we say, Jesus, I wanna take hold of you because you've taken hold of me. I wanna press on after you because you pressed on to come get me. What do I need to do? Let me give you three statements. The first thing you gotta do is you gotta till the land. 
You got to till up the land. Listen, a forest never became a field on accident. If you want to grow something, you're going to have to do a lot of hard work, and it starts with a decision. Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to come and make me different. I want you to take hold of me, and I want to take hold of you. What's well, going to involve some hard work? It's going to involve a decision to actually take the land and to change it, to till it up and to create space for Jesus in your life. See, that's what happens when we till the land is you're creating space. And that is probably just the take-home question for some of us is, are you creating space for Jesus in your life? Are you letting him sit on the surface but not in the ground? So we've got to till the land. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to take out the rocks. Look, if tilling the land is an intentional decision, taking out the rocks is just hard work. There's no way around it. It's hard work, but it's good work. What I mean by taking out the rocks is you have to ask yourself a question. Is there something in my life that just needs to go? Is there something that just needs to go? God, this thing is not cooperating with you. It's not something you want for me. It's not something I know that you have outlined in the Bible for me. It's not something that my pastor and my small group leader and the other people in my small group, they know it's not right. I need it to go. It's a rock that's taking up room where my roots should be. So the first thing you gotta do is you gotta till up the land. Second thing you gotta do is you gotta take out the rocks. And here's the third thing. You gotta tend to the crop. You gotta tend to the crop. Look, if the first one's an intentional decision and the second one is hard work, then the third one is constant work. Because if the second one, if taking out the rocks is asking yourself a simple question, is this wrong? Constant work isn't asking that question. Constant work is asking this question, is this best? See, you're not asking, is this wrong? Is this black and white? No, no. If you're going to, if you're going to tend the crop, it's a question of, is this best? Listen, I'm not a farmer, and I don't know a lot about farming other than what the Bible teaches and what I've seen um, just in our culture. But here's what I know. If I'm going to farm and grow a farm, I'm going to go get some advice from somebody. Basically, you could say, I'm going to farm with a friend. Look, if you're wanting God to grow in your life in a way you've never experienced, a really easy way to start, a really good next step is to come to this room at the end of service or go to the lobby where it just says next steps and go, can I have some help? I need somebody to help me because I don't really know what my next step is, but I need to take it. And I'm not sure if I need to till the land or take out the rocks or tend the crop, but I know I want to press hard after Jesus. You know, yesterday morning I was wrapping up my preparation because um, I had something I wanted to do yesterday afternoon. And um, as I was wrapping up my preparation, I had a thought. I was sitting on my back porch and I thought, if Paul was sitting here, the guy who wrote this, if Paul was sitting here with me right now, would he agree with what I'm saying to you this morning? I mean, I think he would agree. Yes, Doug, that was my defining moment when I realized I couldn't do it, but Jesus could. And I think he, he would say, that's a good defining question, not are you going to press towards something, but is what you're pressing towards worth it? And then I thought, I think Paul would push a little bit. And he'd say, look, I don't think the real defining question is, is it worth it? I think Paul would say the defining question is what could ever be more worth it than Jesus? What could ever be more worth it than Jesus? So as we close, I want to do something a little different. I don't want it to be weird uh, or uncomfortable, but I want to read something over you. There's a man named Eugene Peterson 
He's a biblical scholar. And he wrote another way of looking at this text. And it is absolutely beautiful. And all weekend, I've been reading what he wrote. And I've been listening to the last song that we're going to sing or hear this morning. And I've been listening to those two things together. And I thought, if it's been good for me, it'd probably be good for you. So as we prepare to close, Philly and his team are going to come up. And they're not going to invite us to sing with them. They just want to sing a song over us. And as we prepare to hear that, I'd love for you to just kind of close your eyes, focus and listen to these things that Eugene Peterson said. He said, I'm not saying I have all this together. I'm not saying that I have it made, but I am well on my way. I am reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal and where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep pressing on. Let's don't give up, no matter what, because Jesus is worth it. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray that this morning we've seen you clearly. You give us the courage to respond to you completely in our lives. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.